Welcome to My Patriot Brain, the show that creates action potentials of patriotism. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Mather. Today is Thursday, July 13th, 2023. I'm coming to you from behind the MPS Behavioral Science Analytics microphone. Thank you for downloading this episode. Please follow us on Spotify, share the show. My Patriot Brain is recorded live and published twice a week, every Monday and Thursday, usually in the morning. Uh, we're available on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and a number of other listening platforms. Got a true social account where I post a lot of articles that are relevant to what I talk about. Uh, Rumble account. I've got a website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. Uh, and you can also check out my book, Implicit Biases in the Unconscious, Liberal Biases, Racial Prejudice, and Politics, which is available exclusively at barnesandnoble.com. All right, to Major League Baseball news. Uh, division leaders are the same as they were last time we talked with Tampa Bay, Cleveland, uh, Texas Rangers, Atlanta Braves, Cincinnati Reds, uh, and Los Angeles Dodgers slash uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, um, all leading their divisions. Uh, all-star break uh, is this week. Games come back on Friday, July 14th. Uh, in the All-Star game that was Tuesday night, the National League defeated the American League 3-2 to in Tuesday night's Major League Baseball All-Star game. Uh, during the game, I was watching a little bit of it, and there was an interesting MasterCard commercial. Uh, they chose to use um, their technology to prevent fraudulent All-Star game voting by fans uh, in the commercial, um, which I thought was an interesting, you know, somewhat divisive issue uh, to play on. Um, for that. So typically, like I remember going to, in the 1980s, going to uh, Major League Baseball games and very rare occasions, but I'd get to go to some and they'd pass out all-star ballots and you'd have to fill out the little bubbles and turn them back in. And basically you could take a hundred of those things if you wanted to and fill them out and turn them back in. Uh, and then of course, with the advent of online voting years later, uh, that changed where they pass ballots out in, on paper and uh, there's no accountability or information that they would take from it. You could just put as many as you wanted uh, ballots in there to vote on who the best players were for the teams to represent them. Uh, you could vote for, you know, against players on other teams. I mean, you could set up your ballot however you wanted to, and it was just kind of a, a known free-for-all. Uh, that technology, I guess, has changed over the time, but they, they let off with, you know, don't you wonder how we prevent um, fraudulent voting uh, in the All-Star game? Uh, and I thought that was an extremely divisive issue for MasterCard to come out um, at the All-Star game, but, uh, but whatever. Uh, All-Star game had five Texas Rangers, including Red Raider Josh Jung. Uh, he was a rookie third baseman. Um, also, uh, ra five Rangers is incredible. Rangers are leading the division, uh, their division. Uh, it's been a while since they've been really good. Uh, Adalas Garcia, the outfield. Uh, Corey Seager, shortstop. Uh, Jonah Heim, catcher. And Marcus Simeon, uh, second base. Good to see the Rangers doing well. Uh, I was driving up Tulsa for business the other day, which I think I'll reference several times on this podcast. Uh, and uh, you know, it was interesting driving. I've never driven to Tulsa this time of year and seen how how incredibly green everything is. The trees, the grass, we've had tons of rainfall. Uh, it's very nice. Uh, one of the things I learned from my dad, who's a field biologist years ago, is that you can expect more col colorful fall um, when the trees have been stressed, like through drought and things in the summer. Uh, so I would expect a less colorful fall um, on that drive from Oklahoma City to Tulsa uh, since we've gotten so much rain. But still, beautiful this time of year. I think if you... If you were trying to get people to move to Tulsa or Oklahoma or any place here in Oklahoma, I guess, uh, this would be the time and year you'd want to bring them in because they'd look around and say, oh, it's a green, lush, beautiful place instead of the you know, barren desert that we are uh, a large chunk of the year. Uh, particularly, we've been in a drought um, you know, for a number of years. We're, we're kind of finally digging out of the drought. Uh, we were in a drought when I moved here about 15 years ago, too. And that's kind of the cycle we have in Oklahoma, right? We go rain, no rain, rain, no rain. And then we do that basically until we die, which is hopefully not in a tornado. Uh, that's what life in Oklahoma is, is like. 
Uh, so we had big storms on Monday night, which are helping get us out of the drought. And one of the things I noticed when I was a graduate student in Lubbock, Texas, is that whenever I've noticed this kind of anecdotally, but I, it, it works out every time. So when there have been tornadoes or storms or whatever that's kept everybody in the area up all night, uh, the next day you see much more aggressive driving, both in the morning and particularly in the afternoon when people seem to be getting more tired. Uh, so Tuesday, I worked backwards from that. Tuesday, I was driving in, in the city and um, drivers were crazy, honking at each other, pulling out in front of each other. It was just complete chaos. I was like, what is going on? It's three o'clock in the afternoon. And why, why is everybody acting crazy? And there's two parts to that, right? So one of them is, I said, so what could it be uniformly that kept everybody up? Uh, it wasn't a big game or anything that was on the night before. Uh, it was, I said, well, the storms, it kept everybody up all night and power was out across the city. Uh, it was pretty chaotic. That's one thing. Other thing is the heat aggression um, relationship, right? So the hotter the temperatures in the summer uh, across cultures, across everything, you see uh, aggression goes up. Um, so anyway, that was my observation on Tuesday. On that trip, I was listening to a, a, a executive, a former Microsoft executive, talk about artificial intelligence. And it was interesting. It was extremely optimistic, right? There's nothing to worry about, nothing to see here. Uh, it's all great stuff. But it was an interesting perspective that, that contrasts a little bit with mine, um, but now kind of informs my perspective a little. And so my perspective was like, watch out for this. The robots are going to take over and it's going to mess everything up for us, right? We're going we're gonna to program them too well. They're going to get too smart. As soon as they have freedom, they're going to get rid of us. Like all the other people scared of AI. Well, you know, he, he drew a good comparison to the internet, which I do remember we all thought that access to that type of information was going to wreck a lot of things because what's to keep people from Googling and uh, just finding information instead of creating it on their own? Uh, and just like the internet really changing, you know, replacing card catalogs and libraries didn't wreck the world. Uh, it's debatable. We have some problems, but we have solutions that come with it too. Uh, when I was teaching at the beginning of the internet stages, you know, the internet became an issue where people could look online and, and, and plagiarize things, but then turn it in .com uh, and other, other resources that would search the internet and compare things and create percentages of, of plagiarism uh, rates came out as a tool to combat that. So um, anyway, so he was very optimistic about there not being any drawbacks to this. It's all awesome stuff that far outweighs any potential drawbacks. Um, I'm less enthusiastic about artificial intelligence than he is, uh, but more enthusiastic than I was when I originally heard him talk. I think, I think that it comes down to what do you think of humans? Do you think humans are, are good and can, can bring out the best in technology or do you think they're the worst and can, and will bring out the worst in technology? And so, you know, as a conservative, as a Christian, I tend to think the best of people as far as what I think they're capable of and also recognize the worst of people and what they're capable of as well. So uh, ho hopefully there's a good ending to this story. On that same drive, I was listening to Chris Christie uh, uh, do an interview with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, and one of the things that Christie talked about is uh, in New Jersey, there's three school districts that, are, that were sued for telling their parents about the gender-affirming care for their kids that were, I guess, being recommended. Uh, and that's absurd, right? So that just strikes to the heart of the fact that um, people want, people out there want to separate uh, the authority over children from the parents. And that's just an awful thing for our society to try to wreck families by doing that and placing the power in the state and placing the power in the school districts. Um, so I obviously oppose that. I think parents should have to, um, yeah, if, you're, if your child is thinking about gender affirming care and thinking they want to change their gender, I think you absolutely need to tell the parents. That's a 100% every time, like as a teacher, the, kid, the kid's parents need to know about that kind of stuff, right? 
they shouldn't be keeping secrets from the parents. And and I, that's I didn't mean to go in that direction with this conversation, but uh, you know, Christie thinks it should be legal to have gender affirming care. He doesn't think that the school district should be sued. He doesn't think the school district should be in trouble for telling parents. He thinks they should tell parents. But Christie also thinks that it, it should be legal to have gender affirming care for kids uh, because he's big on there being no big government involvement and, and stay out of people's lives. Okay, that's an admirable idea. Stay out of people's lives uh, and then let the parents decide. Okay, well, that's fine. But if the parents are deciding something completely asinine, like changing the gender of your child, uh, then you know, the government sometimes needs to step in to protect uh, children. And there's a lot of instances we have where government will step in to protect children from pedophiles, sexual abuse, uh, malnutrition, all kinds of other things. So uh, there's a line somewhere there, and uh, Chris Christie just doesn't seem to have any clue um, where the correct side of the line is, I guess. Uh, a little bit about next week's schedule for the show. Uh, Monday, um, Monday won't be a live show. Usually I do these, I record them, and I post them immediately. Uh, Monday won't be a live show, so I'll have less information on you know most current things that are going on. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting show. I'm going to talk about a little bit of research uh, anyway, but uh, I'm going to record that um, probably Saturday uh, and then have it scheduled for release uh, for Monday's show. Uh, and then Thursday's uh, show next week, I'll probably do that one on Saturday. Uh, you'll probably do it either Friday night or Saturday. Um, anyway, so just a little bit of change to the schedule. Uh, I think most people who consume this show or, or listening to it in, in kind of a binge fashion. They're listening to several at a time. They're not sitting around waiting for me to release the show at, you know, 9 or 10 a.m. on Monday and Thursday like I try to do. Um, but anyway, still want to give you a heads up. Okay, so today's topic, uh, kind of on the same line of, the, of Chris Christie's interview there, um, or at least one item from that. Uh, so this is on a, a concept called rapid onset gender dysphoria. Uh, and it was a study at Brown University in, in 2018. I, I saw this on Fox News. Uh, I was actually walking by my wife's phone, and it was just like on there. I said, oh, hey, cool, what's that? She's like, I don't know what that is. I wasn't looking at it. It's just it's something that just uh, was a, you know, it was like a link on somewhere. And I said, well, send it to me. And so the, the, the title of this, of this article, and I posted on True Social, is uh, Brown University Censors Gender Dysphoria Study Worried That Findings Might Invalidate the Perspectives of Transgender Community by uh, Lucas Michaelionis, uh, Fox News, August 30th, 2018. So this was kind of before the massive trans woke, um, you know, COVID slash all this stuff happened at the same at, at that same time, uh, pushing a lot of that stuff to the forefront more. So this goes back to 2018, which I think is interesting because it gives us a look kind of at a time capsule uh, of stuff that was going on before, you know, much of the country lost its mind even further than we thought they had lost their mind before that. It links to a Daily Wire article, which I did not read, uh, and it links to the original study, which I did look at. Uh, the, university, the university had a press release, basically, about this study, and then they took down, Brown University, and then they took it down after public pressure. So they had a press release like universities very regularly do. Uh, universities will have press releases about um, research that their professors are doing, uh, showcases the university, showcases what they're doing, how they contribute to science, uh, gets it out into the public's hands. And then they took it down after public pressure and had some statements from some deans. Uh, and so what was all the fuss about the real study? Let's, let's dig into the real study. So the real study, the science part of the study, uh, is by Lisa Littman, uh, 2019, uh, published in uh, PLOS One, PLOS One. It's, it's, not a, it's not a top journal. It's one that I'm familiar with. It's not where the best research goes to hide, to, goes to, hide, goes to be disseminated. Um, but it can, have some, it can have some good research or some bad research in it. it. Really, the good research that finds its way there is exactly something like this. 
that is too politically charged to be taken on by the extremely biased peer reviewers in the process. And so it finds its way here. Um, anyway, so the, the title of the study is uh, Parent Reports of Adolescents and Young Adults Perceived to Show Signs of a Rapid Onset of Gender Dysphoria. And so when I found this article, which had been published in 2019, um, al although it had been out before that because the original Fox News article referencing it was 2018, it had been republished with nine revisions listed. So the, the science article, not the Fox News article, but the science article had been republished with nine revisions listed. That's a lot. I very rarely, I've been an editor of a peer-reviewed journal. I very rarely see anything, you know, a correction that's going to have revisions. They had nine revisions listed. Uh, most of them were things that you could consider being put into a PR context uh, in the revisions. Uh, most of them were things like, you know, adding information, which were really the LGBTQ perspective on different things, because of course the science needs to go through a lens of, you know, social commentary. Um, so anyway, that was it really atypical to see all those revisions like that, especially one that doesn't walk back the science of the study that just uh, makes it a little bit more palatable for people. Um, that's, a, that's not a good look for, for a journal uh, or a university or a researcher to even succumb to that. All right, so the, here's, this is from the study. I want to read this, these couple lines from the study uh, because they capture really what, what this is all about. So from the study, in online forums, parents have reported that their children seem to experience a sudden or rapid onset of gender dysphoria appearing for the first time during puberty, puberty or even after its completion. Parents describe that the onset of gender dysphoria seemed to occur in the context of belonging to a peer group where one, multiple, or even all of the friends have become gender dysphoric and transgender identified during the same time frame. So it really strikes to, and it also, it connects all of this, to, this is me now talking, uh, not the quote. Uh, it connects all of this to increased social media use, uh, specifically that the parents had observed in their children uh, Increased social media use, um, it's really a social contagion that we're looking at here is, is what's being described. Um, they proposed a new subcategory of gender dysphoria as being rapid onset gender dysphoria, uh, meaning it's gender dysphoria that doesn't develop over time. It's not like somebody has had long, lifelong um, dreams of changing gender. It's a suddenly it pops up after they've been on social media a lot looking at, at these uh, gender, you know, tr transgender things. Um, with their friends, and then their friends start dropping into becoming transgender, and then they all do it together. Kind of like getting earrings or a tattoo. Uh, that's also a bad thing. You don't want your kids doing that. Uh, fits with some anecdotal things. Well, they, it, they surveyed parents. That, um, there have been other reports from clinicians of similar kind of things. Um, and, uh, and I've seen that from people who've, who've approached me about a variety of different uh, issues. Again, I'm not a psychologist that helps people at all, but I know psychologists that help people, and I'm trained in psychology with a PhD in experimental psychology. So people come to me with a lot of things. And that was one of the things I saw in COVID was a number of different people uh, who who approached me and said, hey, my kid um, has been looking at YouTube videos a lot, uh, and now they want to change their, their gender expression or gender identity or sexual orientation. They've decided that they're gay or that they're trans or whatever um, after having been you know locked up for a year and a half and staring at videos that are pumping woke propaganda into them. And then in, I think, most of the cases that I have heard a follow-up on, um, which are several, um, you know, COVID lockdowns lifted, uh, kid gets out, kids get, get to be around other people, and all of that stuff goes away. It was all just induced by, you know, a social media um, as the conduit and social contagion as, uh, you know, the, the process of what's going on. And so the idea of a, of a new subcategory of, of a rapid onset gender dysphoria fits with 
all of that. It fits with um, reports that you get from clinicians. It fits with reports from parents. It fits with all of these things. Anyway, I'll touch on that a little bit in my closing thoughts. To the Patriot Brain Line, and I appreciate all of the, those of you who have been contacting me. I don't have all of you on here. There's a number of people that have contacted me with some really good stuff that I don't haven't got in, gotten into the Patriot Brain Line, um, but I appreciate all of your engagement. Uh, Lauren from Edmond sent me an article that I posted on True Social. Major League Baseball legend Ken Griffey Jr. partners with Budweiser as Mulvaney fallout continues. Um, published in Blaze Media um, by Courtney Whale, July 10th, 2023, um, which is just a few days ago. And so Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, signed on to a Bud Light campaign. Uh, they, they sold All-Star Game merchandise with Ken Griffey Jr. Um, All-Star Game was hosted in Seattle this year, so it made sense for you know, one of the largest sponsors of Major League Baseball, which is Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, whatever they're called now, um, who were even on the All-Star ballots when I was a kid, right? It was big Budweiser logo on the All-Star ballots when I was a kid back in the 80s. So they've been a longtime sponsor of Major League Baseball. Uh, it made sense that, that Ken Griffey uh, Jr. and his dad, I believe, also um, were part of this. You know, the, the merchandise, they sold a lot of merchandise. It takes time to design, build, run through the supply chain, all those things. So I'm sure this was in the works, has been in the works for a while. Um, Budweiser is trying. Uh, I, I've been pretty hard on them. I've, I've made fun of them uh, a number of times on this podcast, uh, their market share plummeting. I, I do know people affected by this, um, people in the marketing areas of their, you know, the, the, all kinds of people that I know that are connected to this stuff. Uh, and de- doesn't, you know, what they did there doesn't re- represent the majority of, of uh, you know, the history of Budweiser or what they've done as a, as a uh, company even lately. Uh, even that one, you know, the Mulvaney thing was just a really big mistake, right? It was a mistake for them to try to get into a niche market with some, you know, very obscure video that wasn't really going to be seen by a lot of people. I mean, they were marketing to a very specific segment and I don't think they even thought about the implications of that or what it would look like. Um, it'd be like if I decided to market this show to Satan worshipers, right? Uh, and then I went in and, you know, I don't know, made a my Patriot brain with, you know, devil horn commercial or something that I created and, and targeted for that and wasn't aware of the fact that that conflicts with everything else that I do. <laughs> and that, you know, you don't necessarily want to capture all markets. You want to capture markets that that fit with, you know, whatever your product or service is, and also that fit with, you know, who you are as, as, a, as a brand. Uh, and anyway, so it seemed like it was just kind of a, a misstep. Uh, the bigger, bigger issue with Budweiser is how they handled all of it after that. Uh, I think that was, you know, their downfall at that point. Uh, I did want to point out that um, Budweiser, and they've been promoting this a lot lately, but they were they were um, connected to Folds of Honor, um, which is a tremendous organization. They've donated millions, like when I say millions, I mean you know twenty to thirty million dollars over the past several years in scholarships to Folds of Honor. Uh, they've always been very um, very supportive of you know veterans, service disabled veterans, uh, military, active military duty military. Uh, and so, but you know, Budweiser has always done that, and uh, they've done a lot of good things in their end times. Um, but let's stop and think about what they're doing, right? Like they they sell beer, so you know, okay, so the service stuff, that all the good stuff that they do in the community, that's great. But you know, they sell beer as a product. I don't know how much good beer does for the world. I mean, it makes me happy, um, but I don't know how much like good it does for the world there. So anyway, so when we start thinking about you know the social purpose of companies, right? Like the I don't necessarily need there to be a, a social purpose to the company that makes the light switches that I buy that I use for light switches. Like I don't really care 
And if you if they start talking about their politics, then suddenly that's a reason why I either use or don't use them when I was going to buy a light switch. But if I was going to buy a light switch, I would have bought their light switch anyway, right? If, if it's a good light switch. So I know I'm kind of wandering off topic here, but um, I don't have any any problems with King Griffey Jr. signing on with Budweiser to do that. Um, I think the bigger thing is just w- whether people choose to drink Budweiser or not or purchase Budweiser products. The, the market share information shows that they're not drinking it, they're not buying it. Uh, we had, what, Memorial Day and uh, July 4th, and Budweiser had the rebate programs where you could essentially walk into a store, um, get a get a pack of Budweiser, and then send in the thing and, and make money on it because the rebate was more than it cost, uh, and, they, and they still couldn't move their product. So um, they've got a lot of problems. I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with them anymore, um, as I've seen kind of the overwhelming amount of good that they do and the whole balance and where, where the Mulvaney thing fits into it. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to promote them. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to buy their product or use them. Uh, cause again, they picked a target market, the market they wanted to, to try to get to and cater to, uh, and didn't think about the implications of that, but man, I'm glad I don't own any, any shares of that. Uh, and again, they stopped being an American company a number of years ago. So that's when they lost me. Not that I'm opposed to foreign companies, but I don't like foreign companies trying to pretend like and market themselves as if they are an American company. All right, Patriot Brainline again. To uh, thank you to Lauren for sending that to me. Uh, Chris from South Oklahoma City says, "Let's say you were tasked with a psycholog- as a psychological scientist with assessing the U.S. in its current state uh, as if it were an imaginary person and not as a country. What does this person look like psychologically? Sort of like a psychological state of the union." Um, well, as I read that out loud, I kind of wish I'd put more thought into this before I start talking about it, because um, that's a really good question. Um, one of the things that makes me think about are, you know, like the Office of Strategic Services back in World War II um, had uh, psychologists profiling Adolf Hitler and, and, and other leaders uh, and trying to gather the information they could and, and do what's now called a psychological autopsy in the forensic world uh, and, and try to come up with, um, you know, psychological, well, it's kind of like a psychological autopsy. So, what they were having them do is they were creating, trying to create profiles of living people, and they, they still do that in the military too, but uh, of living people uh, so that they could exploit their vulnerabilities and anticipate their moves. So they try to come up with you know, personality characteristics, um, background, all of that. And psychological autopsy is after a death or a suicide of some type or whatever, going back and looking at all the causal factors of that um, in relationship to this. And, and the, the reason the two are related is you're doing all of these things kind of... Uh, as an observer, you're not getting to interact with the person, right? So the Office of Strategic Services didn't get to interact with Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or any of those people when they created their profiles of them. Uh, the, they had to rely on third-party intelligence. Uh, same thing with the psycholog- psychological autopsy. You don't get to go back and talk to the person that died. Uh, you've got to figure out um, what went into that. So that's kind of what I'm doing here. And I, again, I wish I'd put more thought into an answer for, you know, psychologically breaking down the, the current state of, of the U.S. as if it were one person. But if we're looking at the United States as an entity, so it's a nation entity um, compared to other countries and things, I would say that, I would say that there are some pivotal points recently uh, that have, have changed things since about 2008. Uh, you know, Barack Obama really pushed racism to the forefront in a new way. Uh, and there's two different ways to that. One is he kind of ripped the scab off uh, and exposed real racism. But it also allowed everybody to see racism in everything. And when he interpreted a lot of things as racism that weren't, uh, you know, it just it made the country worse for this. It was one of the things I predicted when he got elected. And I said, based on the psychological research, what we're going to see now um, with our new president 
is I sure hope that it doesn't go this way, but we're going to see more racism. And the reason for that, uh, you know, has, has bared itself out. Uh, another one, another thing to go along with this is as a nation, these are experiences that we've all had together. Uh, Donald Tr Trump exposed the psychological insecurities of the left. Uh, he did that in 2016 when he got elected and every moment after that, he's done that. And that's something we've all experienced. We've experienced the backlash from the left. We've experienced uh, on the right. We've experienced, you know, infighting on the right and people being in the crosshairs of Donald Trump, whether you love him or hate him or whatever. Um, we have experienced that all as a nation, and that's another extremely important, pivotal part of our psychology, which has people polarized. Um, again, Donald Trump, I don't think, polarized the nation. The nation was al already, you know, it was ripe to trend that direction. And did Donald Trump polarize the nation, or did the left polarize themselves because of Donald Trump, uh, I think is open for debate. I think the left polarized themselves because of Donald Trump's presence exposing the swamp. That's my opinion. Uh, and covid COVID acted as an accelerant for this, right? It amplified all of the divisions that we were seeing because of those things. And so, um, so recently, I think we've seen a very psychologically unstable uh, nation. We have higher rates of depression, higher rates of suicide, uh, higher rates of reported anxiety. We have all sorts of, of markers of mental health uh, that show that the COVID lockdowns and everything else were not good for us. Uh, and so that's where I, like I said, I wish I had a better answer for you, Chris, from South Oklahoma City. Um, that's my answer at this, at this moment in time. Uh, another Patriot Brain line for, to Crimson Tide Kelly, the unoriginal truth. Uh, she responded to uh, the last episode, The Secrets That You Keep, uh, and she said, can you do a similar dive into the effects of gossip in relationships? And I can't do that right now um, because I'd like to put a little bit of research into that. Uh, I think it's a great idea. Thank you for the suggestion. I, I will jot that down and, and try to get back to that at another point. Um, whether I revisit this in the Patriot Brain line or it becomes a whole whole episode, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I want to think about that a little bit. I mean, I know a lot of research and I need to digest that for a little while to think about what direction I want to go without just Googling gossip and relationships, but thinking about, you know, what scientific relationships do I know that relates to that? Uh, so anyway, great idea. Thank you for the suggestion. Uh, Crimson Tide Kelly, the unoriginal truth. Independent podcasts thrive with private investments that offset the time and financial costs of equipment, software, writing, producing, editing, and on-air talent. Please consider supporting My Patriot Brand with a small monthly donation. You can use the support button on the Spotify for Podcasters page or the support this podcast URL in the show description on your other listening platforms. Thank you for listening. We're strong together. And now it's time for my closing thoughts. 2018 study I discussed here is just one of many examples of the disconnect between scientists and society. Science is on the edge of a very dangerous cliff. In their rush to cultural rev relevance, science is sometimes, maybe often, yielding scientific ethics for, for fawning attention. We don't need our scientists to be rock stars. We need our scientists doing good science. We don't need our universities screening the science for political implications. We need them screening out bad scientists. Unfortunately, the screeners will always have an agenda. This goes back to the peer review process, which only works if the peers don't share the same irrelevant biases for the science. Irrelevant biases in science are usually, depending on the research, things such as politics and religion. Let's demand better from our universities and science community. Until I catch you next time, play hard and have fun. Listen to My Patriot Brain on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow me on True Social and Rumble. Check out my other content at theconservativesocialpsychologist.com.